You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. So do we all think that P.J. Washington is a first ballot Hall of Famer right now after the performance that he had? And are we going to speak with the caveat that it's only the first preseason game? Or can we throw that out the window and just talk about him straight up? The dude's nope, amazing. I'm throwing coal in the fire. It's time to get the hype train started. Choo choo. Let's go. <laughs> this is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson, LOH. Also our show handle at Locked On Hornets. So PJ Washington is the biggest story from yesterday's preseason game against the Boston Celtics. They lose the game by one point. Boston wins 107 to 106 over the Hornets. A lot of guys got a lot of minutes. Malik Monk did not play in this game because he was out with an injury. Uh, Josh Perkins did not play. He got a DNP CD in preseason. MKG did not play. He's not with the team right now. Uh, um, you have Welsh that did not play. Chile did not play either. So, but you did get everybody else got a decent amount of minutes. And PJ Washington is the guy that impressed the most. And I think that if you came into this game, if you were to tell me a couple of hours ahead that you would be most impressed with PJ Washington, that he would have the best game out of all of the younger players, I think we would all be very pleased with that because he is the first round selection. We did not see PJ Washington play in summer league, and that really hurt. The other Kentucky star that the Hornets drafted a couple of years ago in Malik Monk, where he was not able to participate in summer league. And then it was kind of a shaky start for him in his rookie year. And the guy still is shaky right now. I mean, there's still a lot of unanswered questions from Malik Monk, PJ Washington, not playing in summer league, but getting to stay in Charlotte and work out quite a bit. We got to see him post six of seven numbers from the field, three of four from beyond the arc, had seven rebounds, a couple of assists, one block, one steal, P.J. Washington, the story of preseason game one, I would imagine. Yeah, totally. He's the number one story. I mean, you would be pleased, but also you would be shocked because we did not get a chance to see him. I think a lot of people had already labeled him as a safe pick. I'm sure we've used that terminology on the show here before when he was drafted, that he was a, a safe pick, a single, as opposed to you know trying to hit a home run in the draft. And we had even discussed maybe him spending some time down in the G League. But I, I think if he continues to per put performances like that together in the preseason, he's going to force uh, this team's hand and, and, and make him play uh, with, the, with, the, with the main squad for the entire season because he was just incredible. I mean, no fear out of this guy. He just seems like he has a natural feel for the game. He was aggressive, taking pull-up three-pointers, knocking them down. He had a block inside after Boston split a double team. Great help defense there. Uh, he did foul a few times, and, and he admitted after the game that he got, he got caught up in some fouls that, that maybe he shouldn't have. And that's what you expect from a rookie performance. What you don't expect is is someone that showed the swagger and the aggressiveness that P.J. Washington did, especially because he's like third in the rotation at power forward, but he no fear out of this guy. Yeah, and you mentioned the fouls. He had five total in this game. Rookies foul, so there's no problem there. I mean, who cares? Go use up all your fouls. I don't really care about that right now. Six of seven. I mean, it shows that you need to defend a little bit more discipline, but still, it's the first game that we've seen from him. 
against a Boston Celtics squad. And you mentioned that block inside, Doug. I mean, that might reign supreme when we talk about him playing at the five, a small ball five, something that maybe he can do. And James Borrego mentioned that P.J. Washington will run some small ball five along with Miles Bridges maybe playing the four. That seems like the most likely destination for both of those guys if they're going to be out on the floor at the same time. The other first-round selection just a year prior had a double-double four of eight from the field, 10 rebounds for Miles Bridges, 12 points. He was a plus eight in the plus minus, went to the free throw, t- uh, free throw line a couple of times, went three of four, did hit one three of the three attempts that he had. What did you make of Miles Bridges' performance in the first preseason game? Yeah, if you just look at the box score, it looks like a nice effort. Double-double, obviously, 12 and 10, uh, but six turnovers and four fouls, and a couple of those fouls really frustrated him and, and made him make some kind of boneheaded errors. I thought of all the players he he looked the most preseasony, like he looked the most sloppy of the players, you know, the main rotation players that the Hornets have. Uh, so, you know, I, I think he he got involved, uh, had had a sick dunk. So we're already, you know, he's already gearing us up for that. Love that. Sky Miles, hashtag Sky Miles. Sky Miles. Um, but yeah, I thought he just kind of looked generally sloppy, but nothing that, you know, significantly worries me for the regular season. I think, you know, it was, I think it was a testament that he was the only one that looked sloppy. I mean, this, the Hornets team in general played really well in this game. Uh, they, they, they had a lead going into half and then they started the third quarter on a 10-0 run. I mean, for the, for the portion of this game, where both teams were playing what will be somewhat their regular rotation for the regular season, the Hornets outplayed the Boston Celtics. Now, does that mean that the Hornets are suddenly going to be competitive in the East? Well, probably not. I mean, a lot of things went right for the Hornets, but uh, I mean, I got some bad news for folks. I mean, I think if you if you believed that the Hornets were going to be 30th, like the power ranking suggests, and they were going to get the number one pick, uh, or at least have the best odds at the number one pick in next year's draft. At least from preseason game one, I, I'm a little uh, less sure that that's going to happen. So you feel vindicated in your take on Friday then when you got mad at the power rankings. This is your vindication, the one-point loss that they had to the Boston Celtics in preseason game one. Are you flexing your muscles right oh, now? Oh, I'm flexing, baby. I'm fle- It's coming out of my shirt. <laughs> flexing so hard, it's bursting. I'm like the incredible Hulk in here. No, listen, this team... Uh, is not going, I don't think this team is going to compete for a playoff spot, but I also don't think they are the worst team in the league. I, I think some of these young players have not been on any kind of national radar. This team was, I think there were pieces of this team that were both narratively and also on the court consumed by Kimball Walker's ascent and consumed by how much of the offense ran through Kemba Walker. And you're going to see players like Dwayne Bacon and uh, Devontae Graham and P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges all have an opportunity to show what they can do, and I think they're going to surprise some people. P.J. Washington being the story of this game, also another guy we wanted to pay attention to was Terry Rozier getting his first minutes in a Hornet uniform. Of course, going back to Boston after he played his entire career there until he signed with the Charlotte Hornets. And how about Terry Rozier, more of a distributor in this game than he was someone that actually took over the basketball and tried to score as much as he possibly could. Nine assists in this game, Doug. Three of seven from the field and went one of three from 
from long range, but you look at him plus 17 in the uh, plus minus column, but the nine assists are the things that stand out to me. What did you make of the way that he distributed the basketball in 22 minutes of play? I think Terry Rozier completely bought into the extra ball movement that coach JB is trying to instill in this team. Again, this is a team that was used to Kimba Walker pick and roll for a vast majority of the offense. And, and you just, you're not going to get that this season. It's going to take contributions, not only from Terry Rozier, but from everyone else. And, and to do that, to, to execute that best, you're going to have to have Terry Rozier move the basketball around. And he was, I, I didn't think that he was forcing anything either. I mean, he was just concerned with moving the basketball and, and getting it to the right spot. But he did find areas to attack. I thought he did a great job in transition, off misses, going full head of steam, just like we talked about a few episodes ago. Terry Rozier, one-on-one, as he described, beat your man, offense. And uh, he was able to do that. Also had a couple ISO opportunities, made some, made some nice moves to get to the cup, and, and converted. Now, there are going to be nights when he does all of the same things that you saw him do in preseason game one, and and not be able to effectively score and those will be the frustrating nights but at least for one night uh you you were seeing the best i think of terry rozier fun to see kimball walker score but then right after that have terry rozier go right back down the other end of the court and score it kind of it kind of plays into that hey i'm not kimball walker and i respect him but this is me now i'm here and this is this is what i do i'm completely different so Get excited for at least my time here in Charlotte. I know it was just kind of funny to see both of those guys have two buckets right in a row, the two point guards that are taking over for each other's old team and having Terry Rozier answer in that way. I thought that was interesting. We have a Patreon page where you can support our podcasting efforts and get more Hornets content, patreon.com slash LOH. For just a buck, you can help keep our hive alive. Cody Zeller in an interesting role. We'll talk about that next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Develop winning habits. You know what winning habits are? Scoring things in the box score. That's what winning habits are. You compete. Rebounds, when you, assists. Yeah, when you compete, points. you get rebounds. When you compete, you get assists. When you compete, you score points. It's not you about effort. The it's about competing. <laughs> hey, you want to be back on the show, baby. I got baby. you, Doug. You want to be back you, on Doug. the show. This is me. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Cody Zeller being utilized a little differently in this game with James Borrego in his second season, getting a little sassy, showing his authority, flashing the power, saying, you know what? Damn you. Cody Zeller will play small forward and you'll like it. Handling the basketball out there like a true unicorn. Is Cody Zeller in unicorn territory right now, Doug? Uh, definitely. He's like a horse with a unicorn horn on him. So, I mean, it's it's he's trying to be a unicorn, I feel like. He's at least being more aggressive, trying to expand his game. There were a lot of crazy lineups in this one as both teams went super small at different portions of this game. Boston, I don't think, had anyone over six foot five out there at one point. And uh, Zeller, yeah, doing a lot more ball handling. I think we saw early in the game him doing, you know, the traditional. Uh, he'd set a he'd set a pick and roll down to the basket, or he would do a lot of dribble handoff stuff. But also handling the basketball a little bit, you know, putting up some threes, not hitting any of them, but at least showing the effort to get them up. I mean, that's something. Hey, I like missed threes as much as the next guy. I mean, let's go. I mean, come on. I mean, we. I, I think it would be. 
you know, it'd be a huge boost for this team because somebody's got to hit a three. I mean, I think they started the game one of 13 from three. What do they end up at? Uh, 14 of 38, so 36.8% from three. Not terrible, but also I don't. I just don't – look, shooting is not going to be a strong suit of this basketball team. If they're winning, it's because they've locked down the paint and, and they've managed to get to the paint themselves and score inside because I just don't think this team is going to be a sharp shooting offense. If Cody Zeller was a unicorn, he would inevitably break the horn on his face. There is absolutely no doubt about it. He would be out for 20 games because he had a broken horn. His horn would pierce the sky. Support the people who support our show like Indochina. Indochina is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style. Upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. Again, that's Locked On, all one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. So Cody Zeller's stat line, you saw him 0 for 4 from three-point range. He was 2 of 9 from the field in 14 minutes. So we got a lot of shots up in 14 minutes only one trip to the foul line went one for one only had one rebound three of six so the box score not really all that kind to cody zeller and as you just stated doug the box score is what you want cody zeller to contribute in i think cody zeller did a lot of things outside the box score to help this team get within just one point of winning this game against the boston celtics let's look at the martin twins uh twins basil twins we all love them especially when the brothers play on the same exact team we've seen this with the morris twins uh now we see it with the martin twins caleb martin getting 13 minutes more than the second round selection in cody martin and caleb had a nice stat line doug what did you think about his overall play from the more offensively gifted player from what we saw in nevada and it showed itself in this game yeah sir i mean that's the strange thing right that that Cody Martin was the second round draft selection, but they immediately picked up Caleb Martin after the draft and Caleb Martin getting more minutes in this game than Cody Martin. But I didn't think either twin really showed much on either end of the floor that that impressed me. Listen, they both play very hard and they play very fast. and, And I think that both of them may play a little too fast. It just feels like they're 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 hurrying a lot of their their offense and it resulted in a few really bad turnovers that ended up being Boston Celtic points and I I really to me I thought that that one of the Martin twins was going to benefit from the fact that Malik Monk was not able to play in this game because it was going to mean more minutes for one or both of them And, and I just don't think they fully took advantage of that opportunity I thought PJ Washington actually benefited the most of any player from the fact that Malik Monk was out because he's a rookie, he's from Kentucky, there's going to be comparisons, and he was a, he, he shot the ball better from outside than I've seen Malik Monk do in a while. So, uh, you know, I thought P.J. Washington probably benefited the most from Malik Monk being out. Maybe a few extra minutes went his way as well. It's funny because you, you say that they were rushed and they just looked a, a little pressured, right? I mean, it seems like they could feel it a little bit more in both of their first games playing in preseason. And yet these Martin twins are old guys coming out of college. They went to NC State and then they transferred to Nevada. So you have the transfer rule. They decided to stay one year extra. Remember, after after the first year that Nevada had, then and going all the way to the elite eight it was the martin twins that were carrying them and along with the jordan caroline who i really also liked on that team but 
you know, all of those guys could have gone pro after that year. And they decide to come back to try to make another run at it with the Wolfpack. Unfortunately, it doesn't go as planned. It was a first round exit, I believe, against Florida in the NCAA tournament. But the Martin Twins, they're 24 years old, Doug. I mean, they were born 1995. And to put that in perspective, Terry Rozier, who's been in the league for a while, he's 25 years old. So just one year older than what the Martin Twins are. And you talk about a P.J. Washington, who stayed one year extra in, at Kentucky, came out as a sophomore. The Martin Twins come in as older guys, even older than your typical senior would, and they looked a little bit bothered. They looked a little bit like they were rushing things a little bit more. So just interesting when you talk about the age factor of guys that come in, maybe it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're going to be more poised in their first few contests. Well, and I don't think that the game was moving too fast for Cody and Caleb. I think Cody and Caleb were moving too fast for the game. I just think they were hurrying themselves. And, and well, I, I think it was just uh, maybe exci- Maybe that's just how they normally play, and it just wasn't benefiting them in this game. Uh, but Or maybe it was excitement for, for their first opportunity to, to get into NBA action with another team. Whatever it was, uh, they just could have uh, – they, they both – uh, could have slowed down, I think, a little bit and let the game come to them. I mean, you when, when you put them side by side with PJ Washington, Washington was clearly the one that was more comfortable and understood where the game was moving and and getting to spots that were going to benefit him ultimately. And you know, I, I don't think that either of them shot the ball particularly well. And you know, when, whenever you can't shoot the ball particularly well, everything else is is going to shine like a wart. I like referencing Jonathan DeLong's take on Dwayne Bacon in Summer League because I thought it was just different than what everybody else was saying, at least on Hornets Twitter and what that we had taken away from Summer League, where Dwayne Bacon, uh, he actually thought that we had some primacy bias and that we thought Dwayne Bacon played really pretty well in Summer League, but it was only because the first game was good. And then you look at the other games for Dwayne Bacon and he was pretty inefficient and Jonathan DeLong didn't like the rest of the way that that played out for Dwayne. You look at this game, only four of 10 from the field. He did not hit a three-pointer in this game, despite taking three of them. We know that Dwayne Bacon is going to provide defense, but also the thing on offense that he provides is scoring. He's not a particularly good passer. It's not someone that rebounds the ball extremely well. I mean, we know Dwayne Bacon on offense. He is there to score. He's there to maybe increase his trips to the foul line because he is extremely aggressive in going to the basket. And just in summer league, maybe after that first game, someone that hasn't shot at a high clip only shoots 40% in this game. What did you think of Dwayne Bacon starting off his, uh, I guess, third year in the league now? I thought it was a strong start. I mean, I think he definitely uh, showed why the the coaching staff has so much confidence in him. I I thought a little shaky to start, but then got a few one-on-one situations and was able to drive past uh, Tatum a few times for buckets. So offensively looked good. Defensively didn't stand out to me. Didn't do anything particularly well, but didn't you know stand out as like, oh my God, he's he's getting blown by, which was I think a big issue for him in years past, where just he would get in one on one situations and allow penetration. I didn't see a ton of that in this game, but also I mean I'll admit I wasn't paying as close of attention to Dwayne Bacon as I was a few others. I mean I I think he purported himself better than uh, Nick Batum, who I just I mean I have no idea what Nick Batum was doing out there. I really don't. Like he he, tur- <laughs> he he starts the game. Uh, he has two turnovers to start the game. Is not really involved aggressively in the offense at all. I mean I, I honestly like I just don't I don't get what Nick Batum's I mean again it's only preseason game one I'm, I'm willing to give this thing some time but to me just looked awful out there 
Well, I mean, Nick Batum is the guy that you're probably not willing to give as much time to because we've seen this type of Nick Batum. I mean, Nick Batum was getting criticized for not being aggressive at all, just going in the corner and standing alone and not really being a part of the offense. And then you look at Nick Batum. How about this? I mean, this this does not look like a foreign stat line, Doug, right? 17 minutes, two attempts from the field, and only one goes in. He misses the only three-pointer that he took. He got six rebounds, but even as someone that you see could be a bigger facilitator this year, I mean, right? Because Malik Monk, if he gets a lot of playing time, Terry Rozier is going to get a lot of playing time. Nick Batum seems like a guy that actually might fit with that roster a little bit more. Someone that doesn't need to score to be effective. Okay, so why don't you facilitate the offense and only the one assist that he got compared to Terry Rozier's nine. And yet it just seems like a very very uh not effort I don't, i'm not going to say minimal effort but he's just not aggressive at all within the game and you saw that again that that stat that stat line it's not foreign to us from what we've seen certainly the last year so the other player i want to reference real quickly is Devonte graham because doug i think the number one thing that we need to see as far as an improvement from him it's his shooting efficiency I mean, it's someone that did not shoot very well from the field last year mm-hmm. especially three-point range he shot 34 percent. that's bad i mean that's worse than malik monk and you shoot 28 percent from three-point range that's also really bad i think the one thing we looked at Devonte was he looked poised out there it looked like I, I think he had some really nice plays particularly on the baseline facilitating last year throwing to cutters going towards the basket i, I think Devonte graham is a good passer and he had a pretty good assist to turnover ratio, 2.6 assists last year, only 0.7 turnovers. So I thought he took care of the basketball pretty well. I thought that he was a good facilitator, but man, Devonte Graham needs to be able to shoot the ball a lot better than what he did last year. So good for him. He hit two of the four attempts that he took yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Because his, I think his offensive opportunities, partly because of his size, but I think also partly because of just his game in general, he's not he's not someone that, that I see as as uh, someone that's going to consistently attack the basket and get opportunities to score. So I think a lot of his opportunities are going to come off of kind of secondary offense, knocking down threes assisted to him because we know he can pass. I mean, we know he can create for others. I, that's not a question in my mind. It's can he contribute offensively to this team and take some of the pressure off? Although. You know, last night I saw Devontae Graham playing a lot with Terry Rozier. So, you know, if that's the case, then maybe that does, you know, take some pressure off of him to be, uh, you know, a points creator and can sort of play to his strengths a little bit. I mean, there were a lot of two, three point guard options. And when you throw the Martin twins in there, if they start to develop, then that gives you another ball handler and somebody with size. I thought the Hornets did a great job rebounding in this game because they can put a lot of athletic rebounders on the floor at the same time. Bridges, uh, Batum, Bacon. I mean, guys that can get in there. They got a ton of offensive rebounds in this game and second chance opportunities. And that's manufactured offense. That's what they have to do because, you know, Devontae Graham has to manufacture offense. There are a lot of players that offense is just not going to naturally uh, develop for them. And this team is going to have to find a way to score points without Kimba Walker on the floor. Uh, So, you know, all around, I just I I like this game out of the Hornets. Again, I'm I'm trying not to read too much into this, Walker, though. I'm trying not to get too crazy (laughs) excited. But I saw a competitive team out there, right? 
I saw a creative team out there. I, I saw I saw some Spursian ball movement, some Spursian offense out of this mm. team. If they stay healthy and get some buy-in, I just you can't convince me that this is the worst roster roster in the NBA. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to talk you down. I'll let you feel good after this game, and then we'll go into the regular season, and hopefully the good feelings can continue for you, Doug. I'm here for it. The NBA doesn't have really good feelings right now as it finds itself in a predicament of choosing between ethics as well as uh, politics. And Daryl Morey's tweet, we'll talk about the Houston Rockets and Daryl Morey's specific tweet and how the NBA plans to respond next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to be back. Great to be back on the show. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Daryl Morey in somewhat hot water because of a tweet that he put out. I believe this was yesterday. It has since been deleted, but Daryl Morey yeah, a couple days ago, a tweet. I think two days ago. It was two days ago. So Daryl Morey putting out a tweet saying, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong while they were playing a game in China. Houston goes over there. Of course, we know that the NBA, it's a global league. It is extremely popular elsewhere, not just in the U.S. It's not like the NFL where it basically has its a, l- a large part of its fans here in America. It's considered American football. Uh, the NBA, it's a global game, and they worked very hard to make it a global game, and successfully so, and successfully so because they don't piss off a whole lot of people. So Daryl Morey putting out that tweet, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong, and then owner Tillman Fertitta of Houston says, I have the best general manager in the league. Fertitta said, everything is fine with Daryl and me. We got a huge backlash, and I wanted to make clear that the organization has no political position. We're here to play basketball and not to offend anybody. The NBA put out a statement that had a lot of words but didn't really mean anything. What's your whole take on Daryl uh, Morey's tweet doug well i think the nba Your morals is a freudian slip <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the moral tweet the mori tweet uh listen the nba has a serious conundrum on their hands and it's a conundrum that really affects any kind of uh, organization we've seen this with facebook and google when they try to become a global brand uh you you quickly realize that the maybe the the uh, place where you started the united states has principles that are not necessarily shared with other parts of the world. Like communist China does not share some of the same thoughts on, on freedom that this, that this country uh, affords its citizens. And so if you're not caught up on geopolitics, I won't bore you with details, but I will say that Hong Kong is a part of China, but it has generally been left alone by communist China and been given freedoms that other parts of China do not have. China recently uh, uh, tried to infringe on some of those freedoms, and now you have protest in the streets of Hong Kong. And so Daryl Morey here coming out, taking a stand, saying fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong, but not getting backup from either his ownership and Tillman Fertitta, who, it, it, excuse me, but it's pretty ridiculous for Fertitta, who is not afraid to get political when it benefits him when it benefits his organization, when it benefits his money, when it involves tax cuts. Like Tillman Fertitta, not afraid to get political in those instances, but he is afraid to get uh, political 
when it affects his bottom line. And so, uh, they, you know, not backing up his GM. Look, if you're not going to back up your GM, then just fire him, right? Just get rid of him. If, if you're not going to have the guy's back, if you're going to make him march out there and make this weak apology, this copy-and-paste apology that Daryl Morey had to make, just get out of here. And the NBA did the same thing. Mike Bass uh, releases a statement that just goes back and forth. Well, you know, we, we want our, we want our uh, general manager, our management, our people to have their own voice, but at the same time, we respect China, and co- blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is the NBA is concerned with the bottom dollar. And I'm just sick of big Western global brands and especially entertainment brands. I'm looking at Marvel movies. I'm looking at NBA that go out of their way to appease a repressive communist China government that that oppresses its people and and you know th- so that stuff starts to leak into the the entertainment in the west and it's just to me it's just bs and get it out of here and it look it, it, the nba is not afraid to offend people in the united states when their values don't line up with the values that the nba supposedly espouses here in the united states we saw that with hb2 the nba and the charlotte hornets made the right decisions when when they went up against hb2 but here when it comes to another regime in china who, who is trying to uh, oppress their people in a, a, a large portion, I mean, Hong Kong has 7 million residents, but, but they won't stand up to China. They won't say anything about China because, there's, because again, they can, afford to, uh, they can afford to come out against North Carolina. They can't afford to come out against China. It's funny to see the way that the NBA is viewed by everyone. It is generally viewed as a woke league, right? Very liberal in its stance, at least socially. You see that, and you see them now pull out of try to pull out of all of this Daryl Morey stuff that he tweeted out. He just tweeted out the slogan that has made China upset outside of Hong Kong. But you're right. You're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars possibly being at stake where the NBA does not want to lose that money. And because they don't want to lose that money, this is the stance that they take. They want to kind of straddle the line and say, well, you know, Daryl Morey, we kind of respect your views and you putting that out on Twitter, but also, you know, we want to respect the culture of China. And so now you look at the NBA. Okay, very clearly the NBA does not want to lose this money. That is obviously clear to us with the statement that they put out and with the way that Daryl Morey had to apologize. I mean, you know that's a forced apology. With the way that Daryl has voiced his opinion in the past on politics, we know that Daryl Morey doesn't really have any problem voicing his opinion, and he usually doesn't apologize for any of it. So now we have the owner go against him, and we have the NBA go against him. Doug, we view this as a woke league when in reality... It's just a league that has a great relationship with its players. And so what happens is players respect some of the rules that the NBA governs and puts out there and let and and the legislator, if you will, of the NBA players actually kind of going by the rules because the NBA does listen to their players. Look, the NBA and Adam Silver deserves credit in a lot of the ways that they've handled some things. But there's a lot of things that that necessarily they, they get a lot of love for that maybe they don't necessarily need. Like the national anthem protest in the NFL. The NFL is ran horribly. You know, the NFL by Roger Goodell and by the owners really in the NFL where the NFL players aren't heard. NBA players are heard and therefore they will not protest the national anthem. But there is a rule in the NBA that you can't protest the national anthem. That you have to stand and you have to show the respect. But because the NBA actually listens and allows them to wear t-shirts that 
actively fight social injustices like police brutality, you know, wearing the I can't breathe t-shirts in response to Eric Gardner who died in the hands of a police officer in New York City. And so now you look at a lot of the things that the NBA does allow. In reality, there are some rules in place that maybe you wouldn't think the NBA would necessarily have in place. But now you're seeing the greed of all of this, right? You're seeing the NBA not wanting to risk hundreds of millions of dollars. And they're like, well, you know, Daryl Morey, like, yeah, I, we respect China too. So just hold off on that tweet, buddy. Why don't we delete it? No, totally. I mean, and, and we don't just see this in the NBA. We see it in, in, in our politics as well, that uh, there is – uh, there really is uh, sometimes only one principle. It's not conservative. It's not democratic. It's it's just Benjamin, baby. It's just bottom dollar. And it's a shame, I think. I, I think it's it, it really is a shame that um, – uh, but I think you make – I, I want to go back to a point you made real quick. I think you made a great point that they do support their players, and I think they support their players because they know that their players – help their bottom dollar and you don't want to upset the players players have a lot of power right now the problem in this scenario is that there really isn't a contingent of players that are going to really be vocal about this issue they're going to go play in china and they're not going to say anything uh detrimental to the league's relationship uh with china and so it is it is different it is significantly different in that way than it was with hp2 or eric garner or anything like that because there's not a large contingent of players that really care about this issue. Um, and, and until there's a large contingent of players or consumers that really care about the, the NBA kowtowing to a, an oppressive regime, then, you know, Daryl Morey is going to have to kind of take his marching orders. You know, this, this incident exposes the NBA in a way that other things have not exposed them before, right? Like when I think about some of the bad decisions that the NBA has made, I think of, uh, well, one, maybe not a bad decision, but I do think of there being a rule that NBA players can't protest the national anthem, right? Fine, that's never reared its head because players respect that rule because they are heard. And so we can throw that to the wayside a little bit. We can also go to the Dallas Mavericks organization when you had just an array of sexual assault allegations against, and I forget the man's name, but perhaps it's good not to publicize him, uh, who was uh, very high up in the Dallas Mavericks organization where, you know, it was... Mark Cuban agreed to donate $10 million to organizations that promoted women in leadership roles and combated domestic violence. But that was it from Mark Cuban. But then that kind of goes to the side where we don't really bring that up in decisions that were kind of negative in the way that the NBA made. No, this this is one that exposes the NBA in a way that other problems or other decisions they've handed down hasn't exposed them before. And it'll be interesting to see how, how everybody views them after this. I, I do think this is a pillar decision that changes the way people view the NBA. Well, it drops the veil that the NBA had, that they were the cool league. Let me, let me just let everyone know. Corporations are not your friend. Corporations are not people. Corporations are not cool. Because they, they want to make money, and money is not cool. Money is not, not, money is not being cool. Money is not uh, doing the right thing. It's just, it's just a separate thing. So, you know, it's it, the chicken sandwich wars. You remember that when, like, chi, you know, Chick-fil-A and Popeye's <laughs> right. going back and forth? And everybody's like, oh, my God, this is so funny, like Chick-fil-A and Popeye's going back. It's like, no, no it's not. Look, they just want to take your money. This is not, this is, they're not people. These, these Twitter accounts are not, they're run by individuals, but corporations are not people. They don't care about you. They're not your friend and they're not cool. 
They're just out to, to take your money, and we should just be aware of that. We should just always be aware that the NBA doesn't care about you, and they don't care, even though they run this whole campaign that says NBA cares, they don't really care. Uh, so we just need to understand. All right. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Talk more Charlotte Hornets basketball on the Locked On Podcast Network.